Good afternoon from the racing capital of the world, Speedway, Indiana. My name is Nick Sturgeon, your host. Thank you for listening to this episode. And I don't have the number of this episode yet. Um, still have a couple interviews from the Cybertech Midwest conference to get out there. So this will either be episode, well, probably 59, or it could be episode 62. I don't know. That. <laughs> it just depends on how the, the interviews from cybertech pan out but this is the cyber.now podcast your spot for learning about tech cybersecurity, politics and policy with me today a returning guest and dare say i a friend of the show now since you're coming back from this <laughs> for the second time <laughs> would that be fair to say Lindsay? i think so i would hope so <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Lindsay marie of townhall.com you can also find Lindsay here on some local and internet-based um sites but here locally inside indiana politics with abdul hakeem shabazz you can hear her on hammer and nigel chicks on the right and the rob kendall show welcome and again thanks for coming back on the show it's good to talk to you again thanks for having me again so what have you been up to i know we were talking just briefly before we we started uh, recordings but what's new what's going on with Lindsay marie oh same old stuff uh traveling trying to keep my head uh attached and not lose everything in the mean, in the meantime and uh, trying to keep my sanity in this political climate that's happening right now. Oh, you, uh, I'm sure that's got to be a very hard thing to do. You and I have communicated through Twitter here off and on, especially during the dim debates that happened a couple weeks ago. <laughs> and there's just so much content out there for politically minded folks like you and I. So what is your take on that uh, political climate, especially now that we're really starting to get into fifth and sixth gear of the 2020 election, e even in 2019? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I don't even know what day it is anymore, but um, it's crazy because we're so far out from the election. You know, it's anyone's game at this point. Everyone is obviously thinking it's a sure up for Trump, but we learned in uh, 2016 what happens when you make those bold predictions early on. The poll would suggest it's safe for him, um, but the Democrats, it's interesting to sort of see what's happening on their side. Right now, most of them aren't really attacking each other directly, and they totally should be. Um, this is not a, everyone gets a trophy kind of deal. You need to secure your spot, so you need to come out with some punches in that next debate. Otherwise, you're going to be a nobody sooner than later. With the strategy of the Dems not attacking each other, and, and they're going after Trump a little bit, but it's really how progressive they are over maybe the other candidates, but not necessarily that direct attack. Why do you think that that is that strategy? I think because they want to appear nicer. They don't want to appear like the Republicans who they sort of seem to be um, A-S-S-H-O-L-E-S's. I don't know if I can say that word on your podcast. Yeah. <laughs> Assholes. Um, and so I think that's sort of their strategy of a few of them, but eventually push is going to come to shove and you need to get those digs in there. And it doesn't need to be negative attacks in terms of who the person is, but it should be on their records. So the fact that no one has called Kamala Harris out on her record when she was in California is ridiculous to me. The amount of people she put behind bars for no reason is insane. If Biden were smart, what he would do is on that stage next week, he would say Kamala Harris has a housing and a healthcare plan. It's called prison. And he should nail her to the cross for that because no one's talking about it and it is disgusting. Yeah, I just, I don't understand it. it. 
you know, sitting and watching, I didn't watch a whole lot of the, the first round of debates, but went to the Hammer and Nigel viewing party for the second debates. I just really didn't comprehend. And I guess that it's probably a good thing that I don't <laughs> comprehend their logic, but it just, I don't know. It, it just seems that they, again, they want to out progressive each other and want to take more of the, Oh yeah, I like what Bernie's doing. I heard a lot of that. Yeah, well, my policy is Bernie's policy. It's <laughs> like really, can you guys not think for yourselves? Other than trying to get the VP spot, if Bernie's the nomination or the nominee, and that's what they're trying to secure, I don't understand it. And also, when you're looking at trying to be the leftist of the left, there's an issue with that. It's probably going to be good for you at the Democratic primary, but is it going to be good enough to win the national election in um, November? It's not going to be. The majority of Americans don't want policies that are that progressive. They're not in that place. Um, maybe the Democratic Party is probably more suited um, right now to bring up someone in their ranks to secure their nomination with it. But as a whole, the country's not ready for it. So do you go with the ideological pure candidate or do you go with the one that can win? And that's where they're going to have to really rectify what they're doing sooner than later. Yeah. So as we get into it, and let's add a bit of the, the tech and cybersecurity piece in, how much do you think the, and it goes into the whole Bob Mueller thing we, we were talking about a little bit earlier, that Russia or the Russian disinformation campaign, the who they're, they're attacking our election systems. How much do you think we're going to be seeing of that here in the coming months as we get into to 2020? Well, it's a great reason um, to say why you lost. <laughs> so <laughs> I think they're looking bad for one side. Uh, it's a really good thing to blame it on someone else because Lord knows it's hard to blame ourselves. I think a lot of people, when they think of Russia and the elections, in their minds, like Russia was hacking into each individual voting center across the country and changing vote totals. And that's not exactly what was happening. It was more, there were memes being spread that were not factually correct, which what's new about that, right? Yeah. Um, it's interesting that they're very worried about Russia. I think the biggest issue when it comes to, to disinformation within our elections, especially in 2020, is our politicians themselves. The stuff that they're saying on debate stages and that they're saying at their rallies and town halls are completely factually incorrect. And they keep saying it over and over. And people are believing that. And so if you're believing that someone is saying our country is worse off than it really is, that they have something that's going to make you better off, you're going to believe it and vote differently than you would otherwise. So just, I mean, I don't know if Bernie Sanders is a spin doctor or if he's just senile. But the amount of stuff that he goes out there and says and spreads is completely full. It just lies. And no one's calling him on it. And people are just believing it and lapping it up. And is this, in your mind, from a lack of really caring by the, the constituency out there that they're not putting their due diligence in and they're just believing what they read on the Internet? Or is there some other kind of motivation for them, you know, get the average person to not go in and do a little bit of fact checking? It's a couple of things. I think it is that they're not fact checking. I think also the media is playing a part because they're not fact checking. During that debate, they didn't call anyone out on any lie that was told, but also we had like an entire throwing circus up there. So I don't know how much time they really had to do that. But also it's just confirmation bias. So if you already side left and Bernie saying something, you're probably more likely to believe him because it, it might reconcile what's already in your mind. And so things that he's spouting off are like, he keeps saying that 83% of the benefits from the Republican tax law 
go to the top 1%, which is completely false. He keeps saying that we have the highest rate of childhood poverty. We actually don't. We're number seven of the 40 for, or 41 richest countries. And actually, we have the lowest poverty rate right now since 2006 for children. And then this nonsense about we have 12 years to fix global warming or the planet just, I guess, goes up in flames. No, if the planet goes up in flames, it's because of our politicians, not from global warming. Yeah, somebody hit the nuke button. And exactly. Smoke. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, uh, my God, it's just, it's bad. And, you know, factchecker.org keeps fact-checking, and it's great because when they talk about Bernie, they're like, we've been calling this out since when he ran in 2005. It's like, when are you going to get your together and start saying truths or admit you're wrong oh but why would they start admitting they're wrong now i mean exactly (laughs) they're politicians they know better than everybody else so they they want to blame russia for disinformation and fake news newsflash they are fake news they're the ones creating it because they're the ones saying it if you didn't come (laughs) out of your mouth it wouldn't be floating around (laughs) yeah i I just it is a, a very nice convenience for these politicians to have this big bag, excuse me, big, bad, ugly out there that they can point to, ooh, they're the monsters. If you don't elect me, not only will Trump, you know, take over and just give more money back to his rich buddies, but the Russians, they're going to take us over. Exactly. And you know, I don't mean to just pick on the Dems. I mean, Trump has plenty of lies circulating, windmills and cancer and all kinds of things. Yeah. uh, Yeah. I mean, the thing is, politicians are great because it's basically like they would do really well on um like the home shopping network right so like you're watching it and all of a sudden you find out you had a problem you never knew you had in this case it's russia and our elections and and the home shopping network it's like oh i didn't know i needed a purse to hang my i mean a a bat or a, a hanger to hang my purse from in the car oh great he has a solution for me i can buy this so yep. then the politicians, same thing. Oh, great. They have a solution. I vote for them. You know, they're going to fix this problem I never knew I had. And they're going to fix it and explain to me in under two minutes how they can fix it and why it's needed in a pretty little package. Yep. And it, somebody else will pay for it. And... Exactly. Or we don't even talk about the cost because yeah. you can make installments for five years. <laughs> it's only going to take, yeah. you know, it's crazy. Yeah, pass, pass that cost off to your kids. Who cares? But <laughs> no payments for the first five years. Yeah. <laughs> Monopoly money anyways. Uh, Yeah. (laughs) So, I mean, again, we've got all of this going on and the things with the elections will just get better and better. I mean, it'll keep folks like yourself thoroughly employed (laughs) and (laughs) stuff to talk about. I don't know. I mean, I kind of talk crap on both sides. So that's kind of works to my advantage and my disadvantage. So it could could put me uh, underground for a while, but we'll Uh, see. Well, and, you know, the, the libertarians aren't, aren't doing themselves any favor either. I mean, it's kind of connect the, the dots and this my team mentality. And here you've, you get the LP that is trying to move from the kids table in the political system to, you know, the big kids stage. And the, the God love them. I mean, because you have to. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Like that problem child that acts out all the time and you don't know what to do with it and you just keep trying different things and yet the behavior just keeps getting worse and worse. And But you love them because it's your child and your baby, but at the same time, you kind of just want to be like, what the hell are you doing? Shut the hell up. <laughs> but you can't. Yeah. Uh, you get goofballs like John McAfee. I think we talked about the last time. And... <laughs> yeah, I love McAfee. 
now the picture American of him, hero yeah the the pictures of him and that other lady on his boat with shotguns is just it's funny <laughs> it's amazing and like oh god it gets media attention and the thing is like he's actually very intelligent um obviously there's no way in hell he's getting the lp nomination and i think most people nowadays don't even sort of put him in the same bubble as the lp like they don't really realize he even tried to run on our ticket before but it's just it makes for great media and it's a good laugh when everything else seems to be falling apart yep oh god well we'll see who they decide to put up i at least from what i'm seeing it, you're not going to get any type of big name i mean even you have gary johnson and bill weld moving away trying to <laughs> go on either a republican ticket it's just it's well, the like, thing that I thought was interesting is my friends that are more right-leaning, I guess less, you know, purist as uh, some other people, kept saying that they thought Bill Weld was right to go and try and run as a, as a member of the GOP because that way he could debate Trump on stage and he would get to, like, you know, eviscerate Trump and talk about good policies and America would hear it. And I was like, you have got to be losing your damn mind if you think that the GOP is going to allow anyone to debate Trump on any stage. Because they're the ones that control who's going to be on their debate stage. And if you think that they're not going to bend the rules and change them, like they have many times to like silence people or censor them, you're out of your damn mind. And everyone's like, oh, he's going to get so much media. It's like, who's gotten the most amount of media lately for potentially challenging Trump that's not a Democrat? Justin Amash. And that shows you that going and trying to work within the system is never going to work because the system is going to crush you. They're, you are one against hundreds or thousands. And the financial backing of every major pack out there that will just suck any money or any chance that you have from uh, even thinking like you'll have a difference. Exactly. <laughs> I mean, and it, yeah, I don't know. I don't know what Bill Weld's been fundraising and what his numbers are, but I don't think it's looking good. I don't see him in a lot of media. And this stuff I do see, it's just him calling Trump a racist, which if he wants to do that, why doesn't he just do, go and try and run as a Democrat and head to the debate there? Yep. I mean, what are you doing that's any different? I haven't seen it. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> and and, and the it. thing is, if you get a really far leftist candidate, say you get a, a Bernie Sanders, I would even say Kamala Harris is leftist, like very leftist. If you get one of those types of candidates up there versus Trump, the Republicans who can't stomach Trump are still going to vote for him because in their minds... If he loses, they get socialism overnight, which I've talked about a million times, but never, it's, that's not how it works. But they have a false binary. So even if, you know, Weld was like, oh, the never Trumpers, they're going to vote for me. No, they're not. If they get a candidate that's w completely scaring their minds, they won't abandon Trump. No, and I, I think just as that divide continues in, in the political system and kind of the, the consequence of that, well, I'm going to out-progressive the next candidate. You just alienate more and more of the, the center base. You know, they on should both have learned sides. from the Tea Party. Yeah. And, and even then, you know, look at what happened with them. They were just smeared from the get-go. I, I tell this example quite a bit. I was a state trooper on our tactical inter intervention platoon, basically the riot squad for the state police. And it was the first... Uh, April 15th, after the Tea Party came out and said, we're going to come out and we're going to start protesting big government on tax day. They shipped us from Muscatatuck Training Center, which is down in Jackson County, all the way back up to Indy. And they staged us 
in the House committee chambers at, for the State House. And even the briefing that we got, man, that you did just these radical, far right wing folks, blah, 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 just really nothing. We didn't have a single issue the entire time that they were protesting. And it's just like, what are these tea parties? So dig a little bit. And it's like a small government, you know, kind of sort of libertarian-esque mentality. And again, the same year. At, by that point, I'd gotten promoted and got into a, a kind of a, it, the briefing of the big wigs at the state or for the, the state government center. And it's still kind of same thing. Well, this person's on you know this watch list or that person. I mean, it just it ended up being nothing. Well, which pretty much <laughs> ended up with, you could probably summarize with the Tea Party is ended up being nothing. It's a lot of people that wanted to hold yeah. a sign and yell and act like they believed in something, but at the end of the day, when it they didn't really believe in a lot of things, especially the people that got elected. They really were just angry at what was happening, and they weren't necessarily libertarians, because if you looked at the ones that got voted in under the Tea Party wave, only really Justin Amash is the only one that really yeah. did anything to try and combat you know, the spending, the deficit, um, and hold people accountable and be transparent. Yep. Oh, so let's, let's move on from one big bad ugly from the, the Russian uh, government to Facebook. Man, they got smacked with a massive fine here in the last week and a half or so. It, will this send a message? Will this fine send Facebook a message of you better change your ways? No, and if I'm Facebook, I'm actually happy that they did this because what that does to anyone who potentially wants to have a startup that's gonna compete with me, already has a startup that you know eventually wants to become a Facebook, it will scare the living out of them because they know they can't afford that if that ever happens to them. So they pack up shop or they try and stay as low profile as they can. So what that does, it says, hey, yeah, we can't afford it. It sucks really bad, but this protects us from competition in the future. I don't think that they will change anything at all because also what they're trying to do and most politicians want right now is to regulate them. And they want Mark Zuckerberg and his people to go and help them write the regulation. And we've learned throughout history that when you decide to regulate an industry that it's not right now regulated, and you allow people from those companies to come in and help write the regulation, all that does is secure their place as a monopoly because they, they're fine with large fines. They're fine with certain regulations because they know that people that want to come in and start their own business to compete with them can't afford it or they don't have the ability to meet all those regulations. So it basically secures their spot forever. Yep. And the, how, let me, how can I phrase this? And, and specifically uh, for the audience, the, the fine was $100 million in kind of response to the Cambridge Analytica misuse of data that came out from the 2016 election. And it, it, to me, it's frustrating being in the tech sector that these folks want to have the government regulate them and thinking, oh, well, we just, we, we can't do it ourselves. We need, you know, big government to, to come in and, and watch us to make sure that, you know, we're, we're doing the right things. You should be doing the right things because they're the right things, not because the federal government is coming in and telling you to. So what's the motivation for that? And you hit on that. It's they want to secure their spot in as an established company and keep the, the competition from ever sprouting up. We see that with the auto industry and these cafe standards. You see it in baking industry and on and on and on and on and on. And I don't know if you're familiar with Jordan uh, Peterson's new 
kind of counter to uh, the, <laughs> I, the, the spot, think spot. So what are your thoughts? Do you, do you think it'll, stuff like that will take off? I mean, we hear how angry people are at Facebook, how angry they are at Google. No, because <laughs> if you join something like that, you're only going to be amongst your own peers, which is kind of good in a way for some and kind of bad. You need opposition to be relevant. So you need other people to be picking fights with you so that you can get into the news every day. That's what politicians do. That's why AOC says the stuff she does. That's why other politicians will then retreat with comments so things get picked up because they need to constantly be in that news cycle. And if you're into this little silo and only all your favorite people are in there with you and they're just touting your praises, that's not going to do anything for you. No one's going to cover that. They want to cover the, you know, the um, knockdown drag out fights. They want to cover the worst things that people are saying about each other. Also, from early on when I saw he was doing this, I think, think Ruben is sort of involved. I was, had some questions about the technology. I was surprised they weren't doing it on a blockchain and they may have changed that. I don't know. Because um, one of the things is they say they want it to be basically where you can never delete it or people can never hijack it in different things. And in my head, if I want to do that, I'm going to put it on a blockchain. Um, but I don't think they're doing that, which just to me is just another Facebook. Um, it can be easily censored because he can censor it or his board members. Yep. Uh, it can be completely edited. It can be falsified at anything. There's only certain ways in tech that you can really make something um, you know, safe and from, say from uh, being edited and deleted and censored and having a normal protocol like Facebook isn't that. No, I mean, it's a call it a standard face or, or messaging type of uh, technology versus the blockchain where once it's written in the ledger, it, yeah. you can't go back it and change it because it's there. You, you get that um, assurance that when this transaction happened, it, who it was from, if you know, if it's not set on an anonymous type of uh, setup, but it's there, you, you can trust. I mean, <laughs> that's why banks, <laughs> some of the banks are going to it, though I guess that gets into another kind of spinoff where you have the federal government coming out here recently wanting to make encryption basically legal. Legal. They want yeah. to ban math. This is yeah. an episode out of Veep. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know if you watch Veep, but there is a hilarious, there's a candidate who's really ridiculous. And he, in his rallies, starts saying that math is like terrorist Islamic something. And we need to ban math now. And everyone's cheering that let's ban math. And that's all I could think about when I saw this. I was like, how dumb can you be? <laughs> oh. and, and, and this fight has stemmed for years now with the federal government wanting to be able to, and even state governments, you know, if, not to, to really smack my former agency too much because I know one of my close friends and, and a former con boss a little bit when I was at the Office of Technology through one of the, the partnerships we had set up. But he had testified, you know, this is why we need access into phones, you know, and they, they always use the very worst situations to justify their actions. And and I, I, to be completely honest, I'm a little bit conflicted here, having been an officer and having gone after these guys. And the technology can be that that piece that cracks open that case. But the protections of the Constitution are there for a reason. Yeah, just because there is a government need, and you know, I'll quote Jason Stapleton on this: the government will always have a need. <laughs> 
And so the, the, going back to the FISA courts, who knows how many unconstitutional warrants have been issued just based on government need? We'll yeah. probably never know. But yeah, they use the murders, they'll use the kidnappings, the sex trafficking, they'll use all of these very high emotion type of cases to justify their action. You know, look what happened, you know, going back to San Bernardino between Facebook and Apple. This would be the one of the few times I'm like, good for you, Apple, for standing up. But, yeah. you know, basically they had the money to be able to do that. Uh, not some of the smaller companies may not be able to stand up to the federal government like an Apple in those cases, because that really, I think, at least in my opinion, no one main reason they, they fought back was because of shareholders. It was the profit, but <laughs> versus <laughs> as we were talking about just a few minutes ago, when it suits them, they'll absolutely want to work with the, the federal government. I know exactly. kind of all over the place, kind of your, your <laughs> thoughts on, on kind of that whole, how the things, and because it, I guess, I'm trying to get the the quote here. Encryption goes against our security or something to that effect. It's like, no, encryption was established for security. The thing is that I find so interesting is that they're so scared of encryption because it prevents them from getting into documents they potentially need or data, right? Um, Or phones or whatever. There's a great report from the Department of Defense that came out, I think it was December of last year, their inspector general, and they admitted that at their military bases that house the computers that control the ballistic missile defense systems, that pl- those places, they routinely do not encrypt anything, nothing. So it's funny how when it comes to my life, I shouldn't be able to encrypt anything because it would actually protect them. And if they actually want to protect their missiles, why the hell are they not encrypting anything? And this, I mean, it's so ridiculous. And the other things that came out of this report were so crazy. Like, they routinely left doors open to the server racks. The door left them open. And they, most of the time, they don't require multi-factor authentication. I mean, even my Amazon account freaking asked me to now, it, like I try to log in, it's texting my phone for this other passcode. Like it's trying to do multiple things. But yet the government's not even protecting their precious missiles with the most basic things in cybersecurity. It's really sad. Well, but they're the first ones that want to tell everybody else how to do their jobs. And exactly. First one's not to follow those rules. And that's been my biggest complaint against the federal government, even the creation of uh, CISA, the Cybersecurity Infrastructure uh, Agency. And I just, because they want the control, they want to tell everybody how to do their job. But yet when it comes to their own house, they're completely insecure. Well, they have this idea that we can't be trusted with things. So a lot of libertarians like to joke that they should be able to own like missiles, right? Yeah. And people are like, oh my God, citizens, like you can't be trusted to make sure they don't go off or that no one steals them. Well, what the hell is the government doing to protect their freaking missiles and actually being responsible for them when they're leaving the server doors open and they're not encrypting anything? Like, can they be trusted with them? I don't think so. And my, one of the uh, kind of, retaliatory responses, if you will, is who do you think makes up the federal government? It's your neighbor that works for as an employee of the government. The government is just a collection of people who can tell you what to do. (laughs) Yeah. And it's a lot of people who you could argue are working in the government and not in the private sector for a reason. And there's a lot of things that go into that. 
but I would prefer to have a private business doing something than the government because I feel like they're going to protect it more and they're going to be held way more accountable than the government ever will be. Yeah, uh, it's you heard it at CyberTech this week. Well, you know, the the government, some government officials saying that, well, we just don't have the, the, the same level of skilled people as you do because the private industry is taking them away from it, but yet they're the same ones that we're supposed to trust. If they're not qualified potentially to, you know, or can't get a job because there's somebody better able to do that job in the private sector, yet supposed to trust them and have faith that they have the wherewithal uh, technical skills to be able to implement some very complex technologies and hell, some of it's simple. I mean, you can set up a server on Amazon and automatically default with two-factor. There's not a whole lot of technical know-how to be able to do some of this stuff, but yet they're not doing it. And they, a lot of times they blame it on the pay. They say, well, they can go to the private sector and make more money. And I just shake my head because I'm like, I see reports at state government levels across the country where people that literally are like lifeguards, some of them in California, really making almost 40000 a year. Like if we can pay a lifeguard 40000 a year, can we not pay someone in, to do something that will protect our missiles and our country more than the private sector? I mean, a lot of times the government does pay more than the private sector, which pisses me off as a libertarian. If they're going to do that, they better be doing it to the, for the positions that really matter. And I yep. think most people don't see cybersecurity as an issue because it's not like Russia's pointing a, a nuke at us and we're ready and we can see it. It's something you can't really actively see unless you understand it really well. You think it's almost like this, it's almost fake news. Yeah, it's magic. And you can't understand the repercussions of it if they get into the system. And yep. so, I mean, survey after survey, we keep seeing as the years have gone now that cybersecurity is now one of the biggest threats most countries will admit, especially capitalist countries. But yet we're still so obsessed with drones and we're still so obsessed with certain types of things in the military that are going to be very outdated in the near future. And those drones are being made with technology that's very easy to hack, which is another thing that's really freaking scary. Yeah, I, the technologies that they're based on are you know, commercially available. Maybe some, in some instances they may have some specifically designed, you know, military design protocols, but 80X uh, wireless standards, even the most secure, are still not that secure. <laughs> it's, or Bluetooth. I mean, they've got to communicate somehow. And it just, it, I don't know, it, being in this industry, there's a lot of things that scare me. I don't know if you heard yesterday, you know, DC experienced some power outages. And my mind goes, was it the Russians? Was it the attack? <laughs> I mean, one of the things that hasn't gotten a lot of media attention, you know, speaking of the drones, uh, from, you know, when we had ours knocked out of the air by the Iranians, was the U.S. responded with cyber. And it was, it was there publicly uh, disclosed, but yet wasn't picked up. They were so worried about other things, and not to say that the, the physical or kinetic retaliation wasn't, you know, important. But in response, do you think Iran just sitting still and not countering with other cyber attacks? Well, I mean, I, I actually hadn't heard that either, and that kind of makes me slightly nervous that they're doing that because um, historically, I want to say maybe a year or two ago, the U.S. was sort of uh, engaging in a cyber attack against another country. I want to say it was China, and they ended up basically intercepting it and modifying whatever it was. 
and ended up taking, basically took one of the biggest um, spy programs from the NSA and then put it out on the internet. They base, it's sort of like taking a, your enemy's gun and using it to fire back at them is what they did. Yeah. Because what we sent over, how we were doing it, wasn't that sophisticated enough. And they were better at it than we were, and they turned it on us. And then they took one of our spy programs, actually arguably one of the most expensive ones the NSA had, and uploaded it as a free-for-all for every freaking country to go ahead and download and to use. Yep. And, and that brings up a whole other set of conversations about the U.S. government developing these very dangerous cyber weapons, for lack of a better term, and storing them on, as we've already talked about, some unsecured systems. <laughs> Basically. <laughs> yeah. And it, it actually goes, so not only that, so they've got these very dangerous cyber weapons, unlike some, maybe your traditional physical supplies weapons that we have, you know, warehoused wherever, not the ones that we're actually giving to our enemies <laughs> when we just leave. Uh, Sharing is caring. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> we're given to Saudi Arabia and these billion dollar arms deals, but uh, get back <laughs> on track here. But you've got these very dangerous cyber weapons. But on top of that, and I know one of the things that we corresponded on talked about is like the FBI, the uh, Customs Border Patrol, storing these large, massive databases of images of private citizens mm -hmm. in their you know, data centers or in the cloud or wherever they may have them on their endpoints. On their thumb drives. Uh, yeah, on thumb drives <laughs> that are getting taken out by Snowden and <laughs> others. <laughs> but I mean, I'm so on a watch list after this. I was already on like five, but now I'm on six. <laughs> oh, yes, it got somebody else on a watch list. No. <laughs> but I, I think it goes back to one, ethically, is it good? The, the legalities are questionable at best um, because it, the NSA and the CIA having that outward or supposed outward mission, not that the CIA would ever conduct um, <laughs> operations here in the U.S. Never. <laughs> but what, I mean, to that trust and, and to that being turned in on us, I mean, to me, I, that's just, it's dangerous to have, that type of whether it's the weapons that that information being stored by the federal government oh, your thoughts i know it's kind of all over the board there well i think a big issue is that we can't really trust what they're telling us so when they had this big uh, breach the cpb came out and said you know it was only photos that were hacked and we found nothing on the dark web well Vice News and the Register in UK both have evidence and documents and pictures and everything else saying that within hours they were of the hack, they were um, able to go ahead, or I should say breach, sorry. Within hours after the breach, they found images and all kinds of data uploaded to the dark web that matched this exact thing. And so, but obviously the government keeps denying it and saying everyone's stuff is safe. It's not the dark web. We're not finding anything in the dark web. Well, other people are allegedly. And they're saying it's only photo data which makes me wonder because the CPB is notorious for collecting fingerprints and facial rec facial data and also stuff like social media or social media accounts. So did some of that stuff get leaked? I mean, we don't know. And so we're supposed to trust them and we know we can't. 
Um, so it's sort of not a good situation to be in. And I think people think, oh, you know, the government, they're, they're doing their best to protect our data. And my thinking still goes back to if they don't care about protecting their precious missiles, do you really think they care about protecting your data? They don't give a shit. <laughs> I mean, they, we know America loves missiles. They love their military stuff and, and the defense spending. If they aren't doing anything or enough, do you think, you know, you in Southern Indiana, like they, but my thought is, you know, if they're not willing to protect their precious missile systems, do you really think that they care about protecting, you know, Nick Sturgeon's personal data and his name and his email address and his phone and everything else? No, they don't care. And so if they're not going to protect it, but they're going to house it, that's a huge issue. Because we all know that if you have all this trove of data and this trove of information and things that people want, they're going to go after it. And it's only a matter of time before we have much bigger hacks than breaches. And there may have been more that we don't know about because they never even said anything. Yeah. And to dive a little bit deeper, that the data that was breached was actually on a third-party vendor of mm -hmm. CVP that happens to be a Kentucky-based company. Uh, they don't want to pick on Kentucky too much. <laughs> I didn't know they had computers. <laughs> parts of Kentucky. <laughs> well, we have no Kentucky listeners now. <laughs> uh, that's okay. I, I, I'm sure I offended my Kentucky listenership uh, several episodes ago, episodes ago when I was just uh, razzing on them very hard. See, I was born in Kentucky, so I can do that. <laughs> oh, I gotcha. <laughs> so and I've got a lot of family there too. Uh, but that not surprised. That, I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> Terrible joke. Yeah, uh, uh, they're UK fans, so we don't oh, talk very much anyway. So yeah. <laughs> understandable. <laughs> At least they're not Bama fans. Yeah, roll tide. Oh God, Bama. <laughs> uh, but I mean, they're not even doing the due diligence on checking with their vendors, the people that they're doing business with on the security practices that they supposedly have. But yet the office of civil rights under HS, ah, if I could talk today, H H S health and human services will come in to a healthcare company hospital and find that entity for not doing the same things that they themselves aren't doing. It's just the hypocrisy drives me absolutely insane. That is government though, right? Yeah, <laughs> I mean, we know better than you. <laughs> Listen here, citizen. Do as you're told, not as we do. I think also, it depends if you're talking about DOD or who it is, but I think their primary focus is on, they want to develop weapons. They want to develop, uh, or the NSA, they, do want, they want to develop tools to spy on people. And they don't ever think about the flip side. So with the NSA, it's like, instead of spending money on tools to spy on us, how about you develop tools to keep our data safe or to keep us safe or the DOD? Like, it's always a negative. It's never a positive that they're doing something to, you know, prevent things. Well, how about you just as a positive to, well, I guess keeping us safe is preventing, but still. Yeah. Um, it's just the mentality is so different. And it's so one-track minded often. Yeah. It's generally driven by money. Let's be honest. I mean, that whether it's the you know, donations to the campaigns or it's that job that tends to be waiting for a lot of these politicians with some of these companies once they're out of their um, <laughs> their service period after 20, you know, 24 years or, or longer. 
if they even end up getting out. Well, it's like, God, this was, I was dying. Department, the former Department of Interior Secretary, Zinke, as soon as he was done, he resigned. He was going to be ousted, but um, he ended up getting a job as, I don't know his title, it's not CEO, but something very high up at like a, a crypto and blockchain company. I'm like, this man knows freaking nothing about any of this stuff. And so it's like, how, how? And it's because his, his proximity to government, his relationships, they yep. know if they hire him, he can be, you know, an idiot who knows nothing about what's going on, but he has the right connections and he can make the introductions so they can get what they need. Yep. Which I just, it, it drives me crazy. And you wonder why we have all the, the problems that we do in DC and why they call it the swamp and just, but it seems like it will never get any better. And I, for some that may be like enough to go to this defeatist attitude of, eh, I don't care. It, I can't change it. So might as well go along with it. Life's a lot easier that way. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> it, 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 it is very difficult caring and one <laughs> life better. It's very soul sucking. It ages you quite quickly. Yes, it, it does. Um, and I, before we move on, because uh, I want to uh, talk about your March article about the, the doxing of the conservative student. The, there's a couple wider things here. The Facebook or the Face app, you know, where it changes your, your, you from however old you are to 100 years old. And the, the ties there potentially to, to Russia. But I, more on the kind of the social consciousness or how quickly that thing just took off. I mean, the psychology behind that. That app is two years old. Why now? I mean, why did it take so long for it to become a thing? And then overnight, it was hitting every single social media outlet like gangbusters. I mean, I I actually have no idea. My only guess is that someone who's considered an influencer like stumbled upon it and did it. And then their fans started doing it. And it was sort of just like the ripple effect. But, and then everyone's freaking out that this app has their data which is mind-boggling because John McAfee has been talking for years on all kinds of TV outlets about the reason he carries typically a flip phone is because when you have an iPhone or an Android or something and you download an app, there's a reason why it asks for access to your camera, your microphone, your contacts, your photos, everything else, because they're going to sell that data (laughs) or they're going to use it for something. So the fact that the face app, people are like, oh my God, they might do something with this picture or like things on my phone. Yes, you should be concerned about every other app on your phone as well. And you should go check the settings and see what you're allowing them to have access to. Um, this is nothing new. This is not the Russians just invented some kind of cool technology. This has been going on since the first app was really created. Yeah. And I, I to me, I don't necessarily see that that is a problem if the company is going to be using it wisely, you know, whether, you know, talk about the Cambridge Analytica scandal where they're potentially, well, and even marketing in general is about manipulating mm-hmm. you know, to buy one good over another, you know, whether it's Coke or Pepsi or you know, going to McDonald's or, or Burger King, it's all about influencing people's decisions. And it, that in itself isn't inherently good or evil. It just is people. I mean, even when we're talking with you know, uh, new acquaintances or, you know, meeting our current friends about influencing them and, and 
to do things, you know, whether it's to go to the movies or go, you know, see John Wick three versus uh, Rampage or I don't know, whatever. It we're that is just part of you know human nature is to have that influence. Some people will take it to the extreme, and we see it in celebrities trying to influence for their own selfish gains or politicians to influence into us voting for them. So it's just part of it. So I don't necessarily see it as, again, that influence is is either good nor bad. It's how the person intends on using it. And the same thing with this data. It's like, if I get targeted advertisements to things that I like, I don't have to wade through a bunch of BS that I really don't want to see. Um, I actually think we had a bit of this conversation last time too. So I don't know. I, I Having that information being collected isn't necessarily bad. I just want to know how they're collecting it, how they're storing it, what they're going to do with it, at whom they are going to be you know, either selling it to or sharing it with, just so I can make a better decision before I say, yep, I'm, you know, I'm going to allow you to collect this, this data on me. Yeah, I think that's the problem is that most of them, like you don't really know, like when they have terms and service agreements, it doesn't say explicitly what they're going to do with it or how they're housing it or who has access to it. Um, plus, you know, most people aren't going to sit there and read <laughs> the 75 pages of the terms and services for an app before they download it. Yep. Um, for me, my thing is if you have any concerns at all about what they're doing with it or how they're housing it or who might end up stumbling upon it, then just don't allow access to it. You can go and turn off access to, you know, things that that app doesn't really need to have access to, which most apps, like when you look at the things they want access to, you're like, this doesn't make any sense. Why does Postmates need to have access to uh, my photos? Like they don't. Yeah. Um, that's an example. I don't know if that's actually something they've asked me, but <laughs> what I'm just trying to say, I don't want to like have Postmates yeah. to my ass. I'm just saying that in, in theory that a lot of times it just doesn't make sense. If it doesn't make sense to you, then it's okay to say, no, you can't have access to this. Consent is a big deal in real life and in cyber life. Yep. So I think it's just, and I've said this, it's user responsibility. It's individual responsibility. You don't necessarily if you don't understand it, who cares what you're going to look like in a hundred, when you're 100? Yeah. Really I mean, if you want to find out, open up Photoshop and do it on there yourself. Yeah. And you'll <laughs> learn a new skill that can maybe get you a job later down the road. <laughs> <Yep>. <laughs> uh, well, again, it's tough. It's, it's hard for some people. <laughs> well, that requires having to teach yourself something and spend time doing something rather than waiting for someone to do it for you. Yep. Which the government loves to teach us that someone is always going to come along and do it for us. They're going to help us out. They're going to give us something. They're going to fix our problems. And that we are too stupid to do it on our own. Well, just go, go to college uh, and <laughs> they'll pay for your, for your loans. Don't worry. I mean, Elizabeth Warren, she's, she's going to take care of you. She's got your back. <laughs> she is a wackadoodle. Oh, my. <laughs> uh, uh, I... I I, I do wish I had the sound effect that Hammer and Nigel have for. <laughs> the, oh God! <laughs> I, I crack up every time. It's the Atlanta Braves uh, chop. I'm yeah. a Braves fan. I just I can't help but do the Atlanta Braves chop every time I hear it. But <laughs> she's such a peach. She really is. The gift that keeps on giving. Yeah. Uh, God love them. Till she runs out of everyone's money. Yep. <laughs> so. Um, and the other kind of fun-hearted, light-hearted thing is the Area 51. <laughs> How he's going to storm. God. 
I, I, I have not been sucked into an internet sensation like I have on this one. This one is it, something about it. Maybe it's because I lived in Vegas for a while. I just love this whole thing. If you I know, bought into something, this is it. So I went to this uh, speaking thing like a month ago, and it was Rob Bell, who's um, well-known in religious communities. He and I don't share the same religious beliefs, but I think he's a really good speaker, and he always has a lot of insight. And his talk was about finding the joy in life and about how even when things are really, really bad, there's always little things if you look around and find them that just you know, make you laugh a little bit, that make you get through the day when things are really bad. And working in politics, it's very depressing a lot of times, and it's very, it makes you very angry. But it's been very easy for me to find joy lately because of these people that are going to storm Area 51. <laughs> and it's so amazing. It just keeps giving me joy day in and day out. The more articles, and my favorite one from today, is that now they're like the fourth largest army in the world, which is so <laughs> epic. Um, and then I didn't have time to read it before I got on the podcast, but there's apparently training videos that they're putting up on Instagram or maybe YouTube to show how you actually rescue the alien once you're in there, you know, after you've avoided being killed by the government forces with all their, you know, ammo and manpower. <clears throat> um, once you get in there and find the alien, how you actually remove them. And I guess maybe preserve them. I'm not sure yet, but I, I'm very excited to watch it. Yeah, I'll have to go check that one out. My favorite one is the Air Force briefing slide. <laughs> <laughs> so good. Like, you can't make this up. Like, this is what we need it right now in our, in our country, I think, is this. It's, a, it's sort of, there's so many good components about it. Like, obviously, it's funny. There's this component that's like, these people really believe this. And it's like, oh, they're so cute. Like, there's this naivete about it that just makes you kind of just smile and then there's like you almost want to root for them because you know they're the underdogs in this it's like when you look at the forces that'll be up against them if they actually try and storm it yeah um, and it's almost <laughs> like this american hero story like sandlot or something right like yeah <laughs> uh, they really want to do something that's going to impact the country and they their hearts in the right place and it it's just so good it's so good <laughs> And if there are any news outlets or editors out there that are willing to pay me to go cover this, I am all yours and I am cheap. <laughs> Definitely put that out there. <laughs> so finally, on a little bit more of a serious note, your last article in, in March about the doxing of this conservative student activist. Why did you pick this one? I mean, what was it about this story that you to it? So in all honesty, I do some stuff with Young Americans for Liberty from time to time. I really like the organization. They're nonpartisan. So I know of the organization. Um, Cliff reached out to me and said, he sent me their press release. And I was like, what in the hell? And um, the doxing, why I covered this one was because to me, it wasn't just doxing. It was, a, there was, ar it was an arson attack. Um, it was one step further than most of the other doxings that you see. And also, a lot of times, it's, we see people getting doxxed or, <clears throat> excuse me, um, people showed up at their houses, and it's people like Tucker Carlson who are a little bit older. And so, there was just a lot of things that were different about this that made me really want to cover it. Um, and it was sort of a crazy story to unravel. And so, how did, at the end of it, and I'll have a link to it, what did everything turn all right for the student or is there still some things that he's dealing with? Um, I think, you know, from what I had heard when this was going on, he moved off campus temporarily. Um, I'm not sure if he's moved back on campus or not. 
But from all I've heard, he still feels very strong in his convictions and his beliefs and is still going to continue to be part of Young Americans for Liberty and push forward the message of liberty. Um, it's not gotten him down. He's not being suppressed or censored. Um, I tried to look up the three, the other three who actually did commit the arson attack and see what was going on with their case. Um, unfortunately, the county where they were arrested and that they would be tried in um, does not put their court records online. So I don't know what's going on with them. But um, I do know that there are three of them that they were all going to be charged. They could be charged uh, with arson, and it could be six to 20 years in jail for them. Yeah. Well, I, I guess you play stupid games. You, you win stupid prizes. <laughs> but do you Pretty th- much. <laughs> <yeah>. <laughs> do you think, and this goes into a, a, you know, several years of just really universities, college campuses that are supposed to be bastions uh, and places for free thought. Is that ever going to change? Will folks that have different view than other than the progressive view be safe to voice their concerns on these campuses that are really supposed to be that, um, you know, bastion of uh, discourse? I don't think anytime soon. I think with most movements, that's sort of like a rubber band. And the more and more that you pull it, the, the tensor it gets, eventually it's going to snap and it's going to snap back. Um, I don't think we're at a point where it's snapping back. I think people are still okay with it. And um, one of the things that does come up is these free speech codes or speech codes on campus where it says the words that you can and can't say, things you can and can't do, things you can and can't wear because you don't want to offend anybody. And that's something that also I like about Young Americans for Liberty is because they spend their time and their resources going in and suing these schools um, or through administrative courts or relief, whatever they can do, to try and get them to overturn these, these codes because it's not fair. Um, and I think an issue is that when you're in college and you're taught that if you don't like something, that you can just suppress it, that you can get it shut down, that you can get it sent away. Um, and then you learn as an adult or when you're transitioning to an adult, um, you learn that if you yell enough with enough people, you can take away someone's platform, you can silence them. You can take away their ability to get a job and earn a living. And that's a really, really scary place that we're at right now. And when you kind of see like the, they say like the leftist mobs, I'm sure there's been a rightist mob sometime. Um, but late, lately with the leftist mobs and when comedians say things they don't like, they, they want them deplatformed. They want them silenced. But then they also want to take away their ability to earn a living. And to mm. me, that is totally screwed up And that I look at it and there are people that I think are just complete morons. I think that everything they say is awful and I don't want to listen to it. So I don't listen to it, yep. but I don't take time out of my day to actively find out where they work, where they live. How can I get them fired? How can I get them evicted and spend my time doing that? To me, that's the most malicious thing you can possibly do. And it completely is against our bill of rights in so many ways and our, the country and being able to say what you want and not be basically uh, banished for it. Yeah. Well, Hi, it, Mike. yeah. Even here locally, Derek Daly, who's a former F1 uh, driver and worked for Wish TV at at that point was the CBS affiliate here in Indy, got fired for some comments he he made 25 years ago. Yeah, but I mean, were they even, uh, you know, for the time, was it okay? I I don't know. (laughs) Won't go into that. But should we be how punished for things that we may have said when we were younger and maybe a little bit more, you know, idiotic or naive or even uneducated, not to say, put that in a negative light, but you know, when we, you're young, we really don't necessarily know as much as we do when we get older. But I think that all kinds of ties in together, at least in my head about how powerful 
these folks have become to get people fired for things that they said or or even things that they may not agree with. And my problem is that they're doing it in the name of being woke. And we joke around, we we may kind of make fun of that term, but when the term originally sort of hit the scene and it's been around, it basically meant just being aware of social injustices and things like that, which in itself is a good thing. There's nothing wrong about being aware of social injustices and educating yourself. The issue is that word's been hijacked and weaponized by the left in such a way that now it is something completely different and it is disgusting. It's not about advancing humanity. It's about advancing one's self-image. Because if I really heard someone say something terrible, and if I was woke, and I really wanted to, you know, even gel it, but if I really wanted to save that person or make them better, whatever you want to say, I wouldn't call them a name and get them fired. I would have a conversation with them. I'd find out why they said it. What was the context? Did they, what did they mean by it? Do they know what that really meant? Do they know about this? Because if you want to make the world a better place, you have conversations. You teach people. You don't sit there and banish them. Because if you banish them, you're saying that you don't believe that there's any room for growth or hope. And that's a huge... Did okay. I cut out? No, yeah, it just... Oh. It, it sounded like maybe it completely cut out. All right. Well, any, anything else? I know we've covered quite a, a spectrum as kind of was par for for the last conversation that we had <laughs> kind of all over the place but that's what's great I it's, I love being able to go from one thing to the next and and kind of making sure it ties in a little bit but uh, just there's uh, with again with your political savviness as well as understanding the technology there's just much broader things to talk about and then trying to cram it in and in an hour's can be difficult but it's fun to see where it goes <laughs> definitely if i haven't been able to talk about tech or write about it which seems like forever at this point politically but i definitely enjoyed the break and i enjoy sort of opening that part of my brain again and dusting out the cobwebs so what's what's coming up uh, in your schedule here what what should uh, the folks be looking out from you so um i am actually working on a couple of projects that i can't quite announce yet um but i do have a panel coming up in september in austin texas um talking about the future of freedom in regards to socialism nationalism and populism all the isms and um, that should be really fun and i've got a couple pieces that should be hitting town hall and potentially um foundation for economic education in the coming weeks too awesome well uh, be sure to put them out on your Twitter. So for your Twitter, how can people find you on the socials? Yeah, on the socials. <laughs> it's uh, Lindsay Marie LP and it's Lindsay with an A-Y. Um, and then also I have a website and where I put sort of all the articles, no matter where you can find all the articles that um, sort of populate from every website that publishes in them and then interviews and all kinds of stuff. And it's lindsaymarie.com. Awesome. Well, Lindsay, it's been a great conversation. Hopefully now that I'm a little bit more stable and not traveling for work so damn much. So you're telling me you're not a stable genius right now? <laughs> oh, it, no, I, I'm, I've got a nice, solid landing spot here in downtown Indy that I, got, I love what I'm doing now. I, you know, the consulting gig was, it was okay. Uh, the company I was working for was good. I mean, they, they had their issues, their little idiosyncrasies that wasn't quite lined up with me personally, but they're great, great organization. Don't hold anything against them and learned a ton, had a lot of great clients that I served, but the, the consulting gig isn't for me. So it was knowing that I learned something and uh, was was thankful I was able to land where I'm at right now, but it also gives me the opportunity since I'm not traveling um, to be able to to put a lot more attention to to the podcast and and be able to 
do interviews with folks like yourself. And again, said it last time, we'll say it again. Hope to have you back on here soon. Sounds good. Awesome. Thanks, Lindsay. Thanks.